0: Next week is a very big week. It will not only be the 24-1 Festival, but it will also be the premiere of Shakespeare in the Streets, Love at the River's Edge, a rendition of As You Like It with a little bit of a twist. We are combining the counties of Brussels and St. Louis's 24-1. So basically we talk about the divides in the two communities, our similarities, our differences, it's our very unique ways of living. Story,
1: story. From the Center for the Study of Art and Community, this is Change the Story, Change the World, a chronicle of art and transformation. I'm Bill Cleveland. The voice you heard at the beginning of this week's episode was Margaret Michoud a student and actress from Normandy High School near St. Louis, who was one of the dozens of people touched by the story we are about to tell. We call this week's episode of Change the Story, Change the World, Love at the River's Edge. In it, we hear from actor, director, dancer, and educator Kathy Bentley, whose life's journey has taken her from St. Louis to the Great White Way and back again to the home of the Gateway Arch. Along the way, we learn how an aspiring young thespian grows to become a respected theater professional, anti-racism activist, and recipient of the 2020 St. Louis Visionary Award. This tale of two cities segues nicely into another powerful story of two extremely different places. The very rural Brussels, Illinois, and the St. Louis Ring City of Pagedale, Missouri, whose citizens are brought together by way of the unlikely interlocutor of William Shakespeare's As You Like It in the fall of 2019. Kathy's direction of this ambitious collaboration initiated by Shakespeare Festival St. Louis's Shakespeare in the Streets program involved hundreds of community members from both towns, as well as the Normandy Schools Collaborative, Brussels High School and Beyond Housing, a regional community development organization. The year long undertaking produced a performance that not only took audiences and actors from both towns across the Mississippi River to stages in each community, but it forever changed the story of both places. My conversation with Kathy took place on May 27th, just 38 hours after George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Part 1, Love-Hate. How are
0: you, Kathy? Um, I think I'm okay. I thought I was doing good, and then I made the mistake of getting on social media and looking at stuff, and I'm just, you know, I mean, I already knew about the killing in Minnesota. Minneapolis police fired tear gas and rubber-coated bullets at thousands of demonstrators who gathered Tuesday to protest the killing of George Floyd. That um, who was killed. man in Central Park, people dying of... A- coronavirus. It's just a lot. So today, you know, so you know how you wake up. I'm like, oh, I'm doing good. And then I I just...
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really weird. We're isolated, but we're bombarded. Yep. Kathy, hopefully this conversation will be uh, different because I want you to tell a story, which of all the people in the world, you know best because it's yours. I'd like to begin by asking you to reflect that you're sitting across the table from your colleagues and you're sharing with them what it is you do in the world. What's what's your work? What's your mission?
0: Okay. <laughs> My mission is to bring people together to create a space where we can jointly create, excavate, build, nurture. Activate stories from our shared experiences, from maybe not shared experiences, where we can have space for each other's unique experiences and places where our experiences intersect. My work is about leading people to that place of self-discovery and affirmation that helps them to see themselves in a different way as uh, storytellers as members of a collective group of people. My work is to hold space for people who may not feel like they have a place or a space to be who they are.
1: What was the path that led you to to that that mission? What's your What's the story of how you came to that work?
0: Well. You know, I think as a as a person who's always been connected to the arts, just for my entire life as a dancer and an actor, I moved to New York to perform and did that and, and love, hated it a lot. <laughs> and got connected with an organization in Harlem that helped me to see all these other ways that I could be creative and artistic and they had to do with working with schools or community groups or you know, just in ways that didn't look like the traditional going to an audition. And I thought that was really gratifying. Like, oh, I can help build a curriculum around Harlem Renaissance and how it relates to being a young boy or girl in Harlem right now, you know, or in the nineties. So that that led me to look at my creative self in a different way as somebody who could actually instigate these kinds of stories and not solely be someone who is given a story to recreate as an actor. So that got me very excited and, and like, Oh, okay. I could actually help people create, help people devise work and direct other people's stories. And, you know, so I think that my lifelong mm-hmm. um, mission of building community. It's just been part of what I've been raised to to value is that community is really, really important. And the only way I know how to do it is through the arts. So so that just has been the center of how I do what I do is this this community building piece that's really important to me.
1: What was that organization that you mentioned?
0: Oh, Blackberry Productions. I'm still really good friends with the founder. She's like a sister. She's like a, a big sister to me. And we did a play together. And and I thought, she is Looney Tunes. This woman, you know, who is <laughs> Stephanie Bear. And she was just the most talented and creative person that I had met. I mean, she just, it was like, you know, somebody who wakes up with like 15 ideas. Her feet hit the floor. That's how I felt about her. And I'm like, wow. And we had, we came up with a bunch of stuff. We we were, <laughs> we still, every time we talk, we got something new. But that as a young performer, she was so inspiring as far as just the limitless creativity that we have as human beings. Um so I got to work with Blackberry Productions after we worked together as performers. I worked with the company quite a few, you know maybe five years or so in different capacities, writing grants, I mean, stuff that I was like, okay, well, yes. And, you know, uh, creating curriculum, you know, all that just really and directing. That's when I first started directing was with her company. And, and I got really excited about that.
1: So you ended up, you're, you're in St. Louis. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. What took you from finding a new spark on the street in New York back to St. Louis?
0: Yeah, right. Well, yes, I'm from here. And then right after college, I moved to New York with my um, high school friend, no clue. And I lived there for 10 years. You know, a lot of growth happens between the ages of 23 and 31. Perform all over the place, you know, and, and just be an actor. A, a lot of that did happen, you know, in different ways. I made friends for life there. Had experiences that I just could never have had anyplace else but New York because there's nowhere like it uh, and, and I'm so grateful for that experience, you know, and would advise anyone to do that. If it's in your heart to move somewhere, do it, do it. And I lived there for 10 years and got married. I had a baby. A couple of years later, got separated. And I was like, felt like I needed to be back home close to family. And so, uh, and that brought me back here, and my, my mentor, who I've known for since I was in uh, college, actually got me to finish my degree, convinced me, Bill Grivna. He just kept, you know, he talked me into it, and he got me on uh, at SIUE, where I teach. I want to direct. I love this, and I want to do some other things with this theater stuff.
1: Part 2, The Golden Eagle Fairy. Kathy has a growing reputation for her social justice and undoing racism work. She's made this a central part of her practice as both an educator and as a theater director. In part two, we explore one prominent example of how this has played out in the community. One of the things that that I would like to ask you to do is to think about all, one or two stories of your work that represent the kinds of things that you're trying to accomplish with your efforts in community.
0: I feel so grateful because I I feel like I put in, in the path of projects that can be so fulfilling. I'm thinking of wonderful experience that I got to have last year, Shakespeare Festival St. Louis I got to direct their Shakespeare in the Streets production, which is a big community-involved production. It's like a year-long prep period. I was asked to come on board, and it was going to be something unique that they hadn't done before. So it was Love at the River's Edge, and it was an adaptation written by a phenomenal writer, Mariah Richardson, good, good friend of mine, and this was going to be bringing two different communities together a rural community and urban community in the area, separated by the river. How do we do this? It's usually a production that's done over the course of a weekend. And now we have these two different communities where you have to take a bus and a, a ferry
1: to get to the different communities. This sounds fairly complicated. What was it about this production that uh, really attracted you?
0: I love puzzles. I love, that's the one thing about theater that I love and about directing is I get to figure out, you know, like work with people. I love the collaboration. How do we fit all these pieces together? So this was a true test. It was um, a way to really validate building community. We worked with schools first. So you're working with a school in Brussels, Illinois, a town of 150 people, I believe.
1: Am I right that the other community was in Pagedale near St. Louis? They're not on each other's dance card, typically, are they?
0: <laughs> Never. They didn't know each other. They had heard of each other. Well, Russell's had heard of Normandy because Normandy in St. Louis, is a, it's a part of St. Louis County. Um, Michael Brown went to Normandy High School, who, who died in, Fer, in Ferguson. So Ferguson is part of that community. So... The people in Brussels, their idea of what Normandy, what St. Louis is just like, a lot of them, we don't go there. They just would not come to that part. You know, there's a lot of work that we had to do as a team as to, you know, getting people together. We had a, a, a journey where the schools came over, visited each other. A couple of the parents did not want their children coming to Normandy, so they had to miss out. You know, it was so funny when we first got them together. And you know we had all these activities. First of all, the Brussels school is a little schoolhouse; it's a small, one building. Normandy is this huge, looks like a college campus, beautiful, big, beautiful school. So when they came over, they were like, "Wow, okay, (laughs) this campus is huge." Um, And so they were just so shocked to discover that they listened to the same radio stations. (laughs) That their parents said the same kinds of things. I mean, those kinds of things that, you know, we know how how important that is. And that it's, yeah, we know that this is true. But to have them experience that, I'm like, oh, God, please let this stick with them.
1: Well, this reminds me of one of the stories that we covered in my book, Art and Upheaval, called The Wedding Community Play. It's about a young Protestant and Catholic couple in Belfast, Northern Ireland, during the Troubles. They produced the play in both neighborhoods, going from one to the other for different acts. Needless to say, it was a logistics nightmare. So were there any bumps in the road uh, that you encountered trying to move people back and forth between uh, Brussels and Normandy? Normandy and Brussels?
0: Um... When we were going over to Brussels, the, the river flooded. And when it happens, it's devastating. You cannot get to the other community. So we didn't know what we were going to do with this production. If indeed the water rose um, and we, you know, together for the year trying to like figure out how are we doing? When we think about it, it's just, it's like unbelievable that that got pulled off but yeah so we because we were trying to figure out is it two separate casts and I knew this was important there has to be one cast of folks from both communities or why do this or why do this if if none other than these i forgot how many people were in now 15 20 if they build a bond then that's that's if that's what we got you know So why else do this? And so I'm glad that we stuck to that. And we found a middle ground. So we can only rehearse like two hours a night because they'd have to get that last ferry to get back home to Brussels. (laughs) Like, it was all the things that any, you know, theater people are like, that is disaster waiting to happen. And I was like, this is not, this is like phenomenal waiting to happen is what it was.
1: At this point, I thought it might be useful to share a very brief summary of As You Like It. So here goes. Rosalind is a young and frisky royal who is banished to the Arden forest with her cousin Celia. While there, Rosalind, who is disguised as a shepherd boy named Ganymede, encounters Orlando, Rosalind's true love, who is also in hiding and in fact pining away for her. After Orlando shares his desperation with his new and sympathetic friend, Ganymede, the wise shepherd convinces him that he can be cured of this terrible affliction and proceeds to do so, winking and nodding all the way. In the end, of course, Ganymede reveals that he, she, is Rosalind, and, cutting to the chase, marries Orlando during a festive and raucous group wedding at the close of the play. In it... Shakespeare takes aim at many Elizabethan beliefs of love and romance, particularly the notion that these amorous entanglements are a disease. that captures the heart and ruins the souls of its victims. He also posits that depending on the circumstances, humans are both capable of extraordinary change and yes, quite often, silly. Getting back to our story, I asked Kathy, how this cross-country two-state two-step unfolded in the early fall of 2019.
0: You know, it's exciting and nerve-wracking. Like, I would be up at night, like, you know, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna figure this out? I mean, hundreds of people came to see, we only did the show two nights, and one dress rehearsal, we had, 10 busloads of people. We tried to do the bus ride so that people could get, so we could build more community on the bus. That was hard. It's a school bus, not a Greyhound. The ride was bumpy. It was hot. It was dark. But we had actual games that we had the actors play. So people, they were just like, wow. It was like nothing they had experienced before.
1: This sounds like an amazing five-ring circus. Given all the moving parts, how was the play configured in a way that worked for everybody artistically and logistically?
0: So people would come from Brussels to see the first act. They came to Normandy to see act one. We had a whole, two whole sets and two whole setups. So we had to time all this perfectly. So there were the the city folk that was Normandy. And then they go into the forest those were, that was in Brussels. A lot of it takes place in the forest. But we managed to have a lot of the scenes that happened in that first act with the background of Normandy. I mean, you're sitting on the parking lot of this right there in the neighborhood because it's all outdoors, right? A student built this beautiful set and you can see the backdrop. So all of that, that happened in the what would be called the court in the play. And some things like we we really talked about she in, incorporated the flood that actually did happen that kept us apart from each other. We incorporated that into the play. And then we made sure that the two lovers who they were from Normandy and Brussels.
1: Kathy, yeah. You are a dancer, of course. This is an incredible dance that you are doing. I mean, the actors are on stage, but in a sense, the audience is too, on a larger stage.
0: There were like 400 people at the show. All 400 of them got on buses, and we're on a ferry. Every night was beautiful. There were people who were not able-bodied. So I took my car over and took some people over, and this two older Black women from Normandy, they were like, I've never been on a ferry. I've never been over here. And I'm just like... And the fact that they even... I mean, this, you know, it's like this is a whole night you are giving people five hours of your time. <laughs> so they get to... It's a beautiful night. The stars are out. The moon is beautiful. You get across the water. And then in Brussels, they had set up peach pie, homemade peach pie, and they gave everybody peach pie. And we did act two. And then, you know, people... Wave. You know, it was beautiful.
1: So, I mean, your goal, which was to build community, how did you feel after all that work and, and the outcome? Grateful. I was extremely grateful. Um,
0: humbled by the whole experience. You know, because often people don't know or really care who the director is, and that's okay. That's my goal. So it's nice to just be on the ferry and nobody know what my role was in it and to hear people like, "Oh my god, this is so cool." Or, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this." And I was just like, you know, you just want to burst with just joy because knowing how many people it affected and then knowing that bond that was built with that cast. That really was I mean, there are a couple of um, Mexican families in Brussels. There are no Black folks. So I would always kid them. I was like, you know, that's a cute little house kid. If I bought that, would I be okay? (laughs) They'd be like, yeah, come on. (laughs) You know, for some of those students, this was prayerfully life-changing in how they see folks and communities that are different than them and for our students from Normandy.
1: What's your sense of what happened in these two communities in the play's aftermath?
0: I knew from my experience and from being an elder, as I like to tell people I'm an elder, I know these things, is that that has to override production. You gotta have people love each other. You gotta have people like, I can't wait to see you at rehearsal. You gotta have people who, after the whole experience, still went to Brussels for a cast party like the next month to ride horses on one of the cast members' farms. You gotta have that. That I knew was more important because then on stage, I got your back. You forget a line I got because we have these are community folks. These are not all actors. We had some actors. We had some few, but a lot of them were teachers. You know, so it's, it's making me tear up just thinking about that experience was just it was so affirming to me about the power of just having people just talk to each other. You know, so they fell in love with each other. I fell in love with them.
1: During the reunion that Kathy mentioned, Ralph Moses, the Brussels-based horse trainer that hosted that gathering and had a small part in the play, and Margaret Michoud, the Normandy High School junior we heard from at the top of the episode, reflected on their experience with the play. First impressions of people. When you meet somebody the first time, you have a first impression. And I got to know people at a depth and a, uh, and a level of uh, intimacy that you wouldn't normally encounter.
0: Getting on the bus, doing the activities, interacting with the two communities combined, I thought that was just the most loveliest part.
1: It's left me with such fond memories of the whole, the whole cast, the whole entourage, you know, all the people just great
0: it's just great it was magical
1: that was love at the river's edge playwright mariah richardson adding her own exclamation point in our conversation i asked kathy to reflect on her own experience with the play i mean the the name of this podcast is change the story change the world and If you looked at the stories of those two communities and all the individual stories of all different people that you involved, you invited a surprising journey to intentionally change their story with a story, with with a piece of theater. So thinking back, um, I know an awful lot of the wisdom you've accrued in your life contributed to that. What did you come away with?
0: Well, for me, uh, I, I learned to not be afraid to take risks, you know, and I think that that sounds cliche, but I think it's something I have to to constantly remind myself of. Do not be afraid to take artistic risks. Don't be afraid to speak your truth. Even in a meeting with folks that hired you, (laughs) you know, I had to be very clear about what I was and was not going to be part of. And, you know, of course it it made me feel better. In the end, I learned how what we as theater folks do, how important and influential and powerful it is. You know, it just validated it even
1: more. Imagine uh, that some of your students came to you and said, "Uh, we'd like to pick your brain and ask you, if we're interested in going down a path like this, where these kinds of things happen, what wisdom can you share that would be good for us to keep in mind?
0: Well, I would, if they were involved with that, or if they've been involved with me in a production, I would ask, how did you feel? And then how did you feel later on? What I'm getting to with that is that first, you have to see everybody for who they are welcome them into the space, create a space where everybody feels like I'm supposed to be here. I'm wanted here. My voice is important here. What I do here matters. And then I feel like it just festers. I don't have to do anything but sit back and let it roll. You know, I mean, I know it's it's more to that as a director, but for real, once I've done that, I, and I realize this, everybody It's not comfortable doing that. And that's the stuff that I love, (laughs) you know, it's the stuff I love, you know, but everybody is like, "Mm, let's just start blocking the play. Meaning that you're putting it on its feet. Like, yeah, but first, um, can we just see how everybody's doing today? (laughs) You know, how's your daddy's farm? You know, we, we had a flood. How are we doing? How, you know, so really respecting who's in the space and, and just allowing, I'm, I love at the center of it all. So allowing love to be there, allowing love to flow openly and the rest, it just takes
1: care of itself. So what were you really talking about as a director is both setting the conditions for that to occur and also knowing when to step back and allow the, mm-hmm. the chemical reactions to take place. That's right. That's right. And, and I, I have to say, I, you're aware of this, you know this, not every person with long years of experience in theater or any other endeavor understands what it takes to, to make, help people go to that place. Do, how do you, How do you know that? Where did that come from?
0: <laughs> well, I think that I know how I like to feel, you know, and I'd rather be in a situation where I feel that sense of security and love than not. It's developed. I'm an actor first, you know, and then a director. And I've been in some situations as an actor where I'm just like out there on my own, you just gotta figure it out. And it's like, okay. So that pulls on another set of skills. And then I've been in environments like with Blackberries where it's like, oh my God, you know, just this family feel of like, this is how we create that that really and I really will say that as I think about my development that experience with my my sister Stephanie really shaped and I tell her this and she's like she doesn't but it's like it's true it shaped how I approach what I do you know and coming from a family where community and working in community was always important I think it's just it has to do with how do I want to feel? I don't want to be in a in a I don't even want to as a director don't want to be in a room for four weeks of rehearsal where you know where there's strife. So yeah, I think it it stems from just that that feeling of like, how do I wanna feel? We're in a it's a collaboration. So
1: and I would just add, um, and applying an awful lot of skill set to that because some things work and some things don't right. work. Right. Trust is a delicate yes. thing. And um, not everybody comes to it in the same way. So, you know, hearing, listening, feeling, trying to understand where people are coming from and weaving whatever fabric it takes to hold that together is no small thing.
0: Right. That's true. That's true. I I mean, I I don't take it for granted. And I realize that some people just it's hard for them to do and they don't see the value in it. And when I go to a show, I can tell whether or not there was love in the room, you know, because I look, I look, and I said, there is no heart in this production and there's no heart because some director decided that's not that important. Let's get this sucker on his feet. Let's get this sound in here, these lights. And I'm like, "Mm-hmm," but nobody is loving each other up here. <laughs> or even if they have to hate each other, they have to love each other first enough to trust that I can give you whatever's needed for this character. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, it's not a, it's not something that I, I, I take for granted as a skill set, And I, and as a, a professor for how many, a long time, 16, 15, 16 years, you know, I don't think that it's something that we teach in the academy, mm-hmm. community building
1: one-on-one. Well, what that actually brings to mind, you and I are involved in a, an attempt. Yes to bring people from lots of different uh, walks of life into a space in a way that generates trust and security and a, a sense of agency. And so this is more important than just putting on a good play. It's right at the core of how do we move this world we live in from A to B that brings everybody along in a way where we all thrive. So, I mean, right now we're in a... We're in a moment where it's not just a river that's between us. How do we roll up our sleeves to help right. build n- some new bridges? What, what's your thinking about how all this plays out in, right. the, in the coming year or more? So, you know,
0: this has been um, most trying uh, in this time as a person who is teaching young people the craft of theater and more than likely will not be able to be in the same room with them again this coming semester and possibly the next. And where the craft about looking at each other in the eyes, it's about touching, it's about, you know, all of these things. And now we can't. What I am sure of is that as artists, because we are creative, because this is what we do that we are going to collectively figure it out. Knowing that we're going to figure out a new way to do what we do. There are people doing things already that are really cool online. It's Zoom theater, it's different, you know? Um, So I think that if we can keep creating and supporting each other in the different kinds of creation and renaming things so that it makes sense because there will be another side to this where we will be in the same room again, I, I believe where we will be able to do some of the things that we did before. And for now, I am relying on community, you know, my creative folks. We have to hold each other up right now.
1: You describe your mission in a very simple way, actually, which is make a space where love can live, right? Right. Um, Generate trust, be with each other, and respect each other. And the the real question is, how, how do we do that under these new conditions? How do we be together in service to the story? Yeah. And there's more stories now that need to be told than any time in the recent past. That's right. And someone didn't turn off the the story machine. Right. (laughs) I mean, how did you get through the the storm? So the moment of being back together on stage, whenever that is, is going to be a special thing.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Not going to take it for granted. No, no.
0: Not at all. I'm, I can't. I'm just trying to imagine. Like, what is that? Gonna be? <laughs> like, uh, I have. I'm. am su- supposed to direct a play in November at SIUE, and I'm already like that. That needs. We're just going to develop something to be online. And I. What I really want to explore is how this pandemic has affected Black folks, uh, folks that are socioeconomically under-resourced. I really want to want my students to look at that um and i want us to create something for this medium whatever it's called zoom theater whatever it's called um because i also feel like it's a time for us to really explore this you know this is you know so this is what we're going to we're figuring it out
1: we're figuring it out out. that's what humans do that's right Figure
0: shit out. That's what we got
1: to do. We have, we
0: don't have any other choice. Right. Figure it out.
1: Right. Well, Kathy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a good rest of the day.
1: And thank you to our community partners out there. The St. Louis Regional Arts Commission, Charlotte Street Foundation, the Arts Extension Service at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst that have made it possible for Kathy and I to collaborate over the years. And to you, dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode and invite you to join us again next week, same time, same station, and anytime on the Center's website, www.artandcommunity.com for show notes. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. It's written and directed by Bill Cleveland. Our theme and soundscape are by Judy Munson. Stay cool, stay well, and make stuff.